and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last time. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. Oh, Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and it's especially important to celebrate and recognize this year. It's been a really difficult one for the Asian American community across this great country. And there's no doubt that Asian Americans have made an incredible contribution to American society recently and throughout our history. So I wanted to take a break from discussing Pittsburgh politics to profile two leaders that I think you'll enjoy getting to know. Today, we have a conversation with State Representative Patty Kim. Later, we're going to sit down with Co Chiba, who's worked with Congresswoman Mad Dean for a decade. Patty represents the city of Harrisburg, and she made history by being the first Asian American in the State House. She's had an incredible career, and I have a real feeling that the best is yet to come. There is news tonight about the growing incidents of racist and often violent attacks against Asian Americans in this country. More than 2,800 reports since the pandemic began. State Representative Patty Kim, welcome to my kitchen table. Thanks for having me, Ari. So I've been very curious how you've had quite the career as you look back at the last decade. If you could share that with our listeners, uh, many of whom are familiar with the State House, but many are from even outside of the Commonwealth. But you know, share your incredible journey over the last uh, decade. Sure. I think I'm an inspiration for people who have no idea what they want to do, especially young people, uh, because my path to politics is not a straight line at all. I thought I wanted to be a, a nurse and thought that was be something that I'd be good at and I could be helpful and, and to serve. There's going to be an underlying theme of, of serving other people. I was in Boston College and unfortunately, during the third year, they have you go into the hospital called clinicals. And um, that was an eye-opening experience. I took care of somebody as a nursing student. And the next day, the, the woman passed away. And, I, you know, you, you can't prepare for that. You can't expect it. And it was just, it was hard. And, and I didn't feel I could do that, something that I could do every day. And the nursing professors are actually were like, Patty, leave. Like, go. Go do something else. <laughs> so it was very humbling. And so I decided to try to get out of Boston College. Tuition was expensive. What can I graduate quickly? And, you know, I thought, you know, communications, I think I can speak well. And I've always wanted to be a news reporter. So it was kind of a Hail Mary pass, Ari, and decided to try being a news reporter. And I actually pretty far and for 10 years. I was behind the scenes at TV stations in Washington, D.C. Um, I think I was at the CBS affiliate. I was the prompter girl for the morning show and uh, really enjoyed that fast newsroom life. The uh, job took me to Harrisburg, uh, excuse me, Hagerstown, Maryland for two years as a morning news reporter. And then everybody wants to kind of get out of the first job because the pay was terrible. And it was kind of a culture shock just being from a bigger city. And Hagerstown was small and, and the people were really nice. But then Harrisburg called me and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I'm right now. And uh, the CBS affiliate said, you know, come on board, be the morning news reporter slash morning anchor. 
And I did that for four years in Harrisburg. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back home to the DC area, maybe be a news reporter in Baltimore or, or DC. And then I got married and had a child and, you know, the rest of the story. And the rest is history. But did you, so did you grow up in the Boston area, the DC area, or I understand it correctly? You're not originally from Pennsylvania? I am not. I was born and raised until I was 12 in California. And then we moved to Northern Virginia, went to school at Langley High School in Fairfax County for my high school years, school in Boston, just for a college. And then, yeah, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania was new to me. It was close to home, so close to family and great experience to be in the midst market in Harrisburg. I know, and I think a lot of our listeners know that drive down 15 to 270 uh, uh, into the <laughs> mixing bowl of the D.C. Beltway. So, uh, well, I'm look, it's so great as we're looking at the census data on Pennsylvania lost population that you decided more than a decade ago to make PA your home. Yeah. But then it's not often that someone from a, kind of the nonpartisan world broadcast morning media uh, decides to throw a, her hat in the ring for city government. So how did that happen? I mean, what was there a particular kind of light bulb moment that you said, I, I'm you know, frustrated or I'm energized. I mean, what, what prompted you to get involved in electoral politics? I had always wanted to, you know, do something helpful and to do something with purpose. And having my parents be children during the Korean War and saw devastation, you know, they met here in the United States. But just growing up, my mom would always remind me about how blessed I was. Blessed, blessed, Patty, and how much we have and how much we're the education. And so she had a really great, healthy perspective on life. And so I carry that thinking, you know what, if I have great education from, you know, Fairfax County, um, my parents have been super supportive. What can I do instead of just, you know, hoard, get, you know, make lots of money? What can I do to actually use all the, the gifts, so to speak, that I have? And I couldn't figure it out. I thought it was nursing. I thought it was being a voice to the voiceless as a news reporter. And then I took a break from the news media to have my first my first baby. And uh, a friend of mine who was on Harrisburg City Council at the time said, you know, was kind of lonely. He had a lot of people going against him and he wanted a friend on city council. So he's the one who asked me to run with him. And I I thought that was a ridiculous idea, but then realized this is something where I can serve. Is my name recognition going to be helpful? As I started door knocking in the very beginning, you know, people called me the news lady and recognized me. And so with a lot of hard work and then using my husband's base as a banker, all of that came together. And I shockingly won my first time out on city council and then ran another term. And then uh, this seat, very appealing. Um, the person who was in the seat before had been there for 20 years and we felt he was coasting a little bit too much and decided to challenge him. He retired soon after and it was a four-way race and it was crazy hard. Everyone had name recognition as well, but I ended up winning with 43 votes. Well, let's definitely get to uh, the state house, but let's take a step back and unpackage uh, that first foray with the city council. So if you could share with our listeners the breakdown of the Harrisburg City Council, how many members um, at that time, as I recall, that was 2006 to 2012. It's a pretty tumultuous time in Harrisburg City government, to put it mildly, but uh, give, give folks a sense who might not be so familiar. Sure. So the city has about 50,000 residents. There are seven of us on city council all Democrats, all the time. And we had a mayor in office, Mayor 
Stephen Reed, who had been in office for a couple of decades. And because the city of Harrisburg has about 55% tax exempt properties, obviously we have the capital, we have all the complexes, the buildings. So 55% of our, our buildings and properties are tax exempt. So every mayor has to be creative and to figure out how are we going to uh, fill that void. And so the ma- mayor Reed at the time was very entrepreneurial. He, he wanted to make Harrisburg a destination for museums. He loved history and helped build the Civil War Museum, even though we're 30 minutes away from Gettysburg. But he really wanted that. And then he wanted, you know, with artifacts, it was it was a mess after a while when he got too comfortable with his power. And the last project that really put us in the hole was the incinerator. It was new back then, you know, supposed to be environmentally friendly. But the one thing that he made a mistake was he didn't put a performance bond on the incinerator. And the um, the design was new and it didn't work. And so all of the debt fell on the city of Harrisburg residents. And so we were on the verge of bankruptcy. I just can't I can remember those city council meetings, you know, how the city wanted to go bankrupt and make the bondholders pay. The other, you know, saying, you know, 10 years under a cloud, you know, financially for the city of Harrisburg. It was so it felt like a pressure cooker environment where anything, any decision was just, nobody was happy. <laughs> so I felt like I got a PhD and you know, municipal bonding and, and just what not to do. It was, it was so stressful, but the voters were watching us. And in that seven years that I was on city council, you know, they felt that I was a voice of reason many of the times. And I really had to prove myself there. And had the scars to show, you know, when we were fighting on council to figure out the best way. So I really, you know, when people are interested in in politics, you know, working on the local level where you can get your feet wet, make your mistakes, really understand your district and just listening to the city Harrisburg residents for seven years prepared me to be, I think, a a serious state representative. Yeah, it was just a really great experience. Literally, we're talking about trash, uh, just, just to remind listeners when we're talking about an incinerator, and there's probably no more local issue uh, of where people engage with, with government than taking their trash to the curb uh, on a weekly uh, uh, basis. So it's 2011. President Obama's ready for his first re-election. My old boss, Senator Casey, is ready for his first re-election. And you are thinking about challenging an incumbent for the state house. Uh, so where did, where, where did that come from? I mean, because the city council, that's a part-time position. Uh, so it'd be a completely different change of pace uh, for you. Thanks for reminding me about President Obama. You know, he was a huge inspiration to me. He came to Harrisburg as uh, one of his stops before winning his first term. And I just saw that wave of, you know, people of color and women becoming more appealing in terms of elected officials. And I just remember that conversation with President Obama. You know, we had like, 50 people in the room, we were in the green room and we had um, all the elected officials there to greet him. And, you know, he made you feel like you were the only person in the room. You know, he knew how to connect with people quickly as he was moving along in the, the line to shake hands. And, you know, just him being a person of color, you know, I can kind of relate to his struggle of being a minority in the United States and having him just be smart and just so cool. I, I can't think of a better word to say that he was so cool to inspire me that, you know, we need more of our voices, whether it be at the local level, state level, national level. 
Um, and, and he was one of my inspirations to, to go for it. You know, I'm the first woman to be in the seat, the first person of color in the seat. So it, it, it was, it was tough to get there, but yeah, I, I found my place and I, I found my passion. I don't want to assume, but I assume that it went through your head that you could potentially make history and be the first Asian American in the state house. Are we actually no? Yeah. That's, that's one of the last things really? people think about because there's so many challenges and barriers the minute I thought about that was when on swearing in day, a news reporter asked about, you know, being the first because it, it never dawned on me. I am so incredibly grateful for the residents of Harrisburg who, you know, elected me first in, in uh, on city council. There are very few Asian Americans in my district. And it's, you know, very typical where you see Asian American elected officials are in, you know, Hawaii, California, New York City, because there's just a bigger population, Philadelphia. So to have, you know, the residents, you know, know that I'm not from here to trust me, you know, kind of an outsider has been really, really cool and grateful. And I, and I think actually my faith was very helpful in that. In the African-American community here in Harrisburg, church is a big thing. And going and visiting someone's church is personal and it's, it's, it's warm and it's, it's like an embrace. And because I go to church every Sunday anyways, I was like, I'll just go to church with them. Uh, as part of my, you know, campaigning and, and I would stay at some of these churches where their services were like four hours long, especially the Baptist churches, where there's a lot of singing, and a lot of standing up and they, they welcomed me. And, you know, during greeting time, you know, I would get hugged by all the, the, the grandmothers and I just, I, I honestly enjoyed it. And I would lead the church with six different types of perfumes all over me. It was, it was nauseating, but you know, we, we connected with our faith and, and I'm very grateful for that. And they saw, they would say, I, I saw your heart, Patty, and I know you're doing this for the right reasons. So again, just feeling very grateful for them. And just remind listeners, uh, the district that you represent, it's the entire city of Harrisburg? The entire city of Harrisburg. And then I have a couple of boroughs surrounding, um, and they're, they're mostly urban boroughs, about 65,000 residents. Yep. So you have the Shortest commute amongst your 202 other colleagues, but you have a full plate. So as you look back, coming up on a decade uh, of your service in the uh, in the state house, I mean, what what are some of your most fond memories? Yeah, it, I like being from the city of Harrisburg, being the the host rep. You know, I like to talk to the governor and be like, you know, you're my constituent. If you have any pothole issues, you know, I can send them to PennDOT. So that's always fun. It's actually a little bit nerve wracking because anybody in the state capital could be your constituent because, you know, Harris, the estate is the biggest employer for my residents. So, you know, walking down the hallways, people have that, what do you call it? The, the resting bitch face. <laughs> Sorry if I should have said that word, but, you know, I need to going down the hallways in the state capital is like a parade. You never know who's my constituent. So I'm waving, smiling, giving the, the, the gun fingers trying to make sure that uh, I don't seem aloof. So there's a little bit of pressure there. And then as you mentioned, yeah, we have a lot of issues in, in the city. We're, we're kind of like a mini Philadelphia, so to speak. You know, we have gun violence issues. Our school districts are not strong. I have a lot of people who are re-entrants or ex-offenders who are, are looking for jobs, sustainable jobs. I've been carrying the minimum wage bill for my caucus for the last nine years, and I'm not going to quit. But I feel like those issues of criminal justice reform, better public education, and living wages would help my constituents. One out of four live in poverty in my district. So those are some of the issues that are uh, really important to me. 
By the way, I've heard Senator Cardin in Maryland uh, say the same thing, you know, that there's people who've spent their entire life in a very unique agency and that they're, you know, the real experts uh, and then they meet with him in a constituent grassroots advocacy context and they know more than the, uh, the senior senator. So this is, this is the month of May. It's Asian American uh, Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So looking back, uh, you alluded to this with, with your, your parents, but what does this month uh, mean for you? Sure. I just recorded a, a keynote speech for the uh, the month for the state, and I was telling the audience that, you know, celebrating is not quite the exact word that, you know, we're feeling right now um, after the, the shooting deaths of the, the five women in, in Atlanta. So this is just the time, I think, for us to reflect, to see where we're going, to see where we how far we have come. You know, I, I think our parents who immigrated here, my parents who immigrated here in the mid-60s, my dad's 84 now, you know, did their best in, in raising us. And, you know, they always taught us to be respectful of everyone, to uh, stay modest, don't be, you know, don't show off, put your head down and work hard. And that has worked for them, but it's not quite working for us in terms of we, we act like we're always on the sideline, that we're, we're permanent outsiders here. And because they had a language barrier, because my dad had a heavy accent, you know, he didn't feel confident in going mainstream. And so I think the second generation needs to pick up, the, take the baton and, and run with it and to do things, be part of a political landscape, to be part of the philanthropy and in every part of society. Uh, we've been, I think, too quiet. People have called us invisible. But I think things are changing. And I think this is just a really good time to think about where we want to go and how we want to do it together. Well, Representative, you've been super generous with your time. One final question, maybe if we can reflect back. I think the dust is all but settled from the uh, 2020 race. You know, the DNC and Biden-Harris uh, ticket, you know, they invested more money uh, than ever before uh, in engaging first and second generation diaspora communities. And to be honest, as Democrats, we, we didn't come up where we thought we were uh, going to come up. So I'd be curious, you know, with, with lessons learned and kind of war wounds from, from 2020, where do we go in engaging these diaspora communities? It's going to take time dumping a lot of money into out-of-state folks knocking on doors, you know, is a start, but it, it's going to take a lot more time. It's in it, A lot of the responsibility falls upon me. And the growing Asian Americans in Congress that, you know, there's always been a distrust with government in terms in the Asian American community. You know what? You know, we work hard. We try to be as independent as possible. We don't want to lean on government because that's like a failure. You know, And because of the dynamics of change where our, our grandparents may not have a, a very big uh, pension or didn't save enough, are starting to depend on government now. Not a good thing, but it's changing our perspective on government that we actually need them. And so if we can deliver to them in terms of services, again, there's a language barrier. If we can have uh, things interpreted in different languages, I think they will become more engaged and realize how important it is to participate, whether it, become, whether it be voting or just in the political process as a whole. So we have a lot more work to do, but I'm hopeful that, again, the second generation will pick up the baton and, and run with it and, and be part of the conversation. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for the work you're doing, especially the fight for 15. Uh, hopefully it's not going to take another nine years, maybe just the next nine months. We'll see. But really appreciate it. Thank you, Ari. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at PA Political Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.